hold accountable the ineffective and crooked local officials whom Chinese citizens often blame for the problems that matter most to them. Corruption may be the party's greatest weakness, but its response to corruption may demonstrate its greatest strengths. Pay to play. Pay bases his observations and arguments on a set of 260 prominent corruption cases he assembled from the past quarter century. All these cases were revealed to the public and prosecuted by central or local authorities. Although they represent a tiny fraction of the hundreds of thousands of cases that authorities dealt with during that time period, they span a broad range of situations and sectors. Pei's analysis reveals how two important features of the contemporary Chinese state have combined to create a perfect environment for corruption. First is China's hybrid socialist market economy. Even as China has gradually liberalized and the state has expanded the scope of acceptable market activities, the CCP has retained control over major sectors of the economy and still plays a leading role in the allocation of capital, land, and labor. But beginning in the 1990s, the party began to decentralize its administrative hierarchy. Today, each level of government controls appointments in the level immediately below it. The party thus retains a high degree of loyalty and influence, but individual bureaucrats, especially local party chiefs, also enjoy a decent amount of autonomy. This combination of state control and decentralized authority has created almost unlimited opportunities for corruption, as officials exploit state assets and resources for their own private gain. Focusing on collusion among elites, Pei paints a vivid, if necessarily partial, picture of these complex and often hidden deals. In particular, he explores the extensive market for political offices. A typical case involves a poorly paid official bribing a superior in exchange for a plum appointment or a promotion. The pernicious effects of such a scheme reverberate widely because, to finance their bribes, officials frequently rely on gifts or contributions from business contacts or even collect their own bribes from others. Everyone involved expects to make a return on his or her investment. Pay dissects the motives of buyers and sellers, the problem of risk management, and the ways in which officials come up with prices for various positions. Of course, Chinese crony capitalism goes far beyond the buying and selling of offices. Pei reveals in great detail the many manifestations of collusive corruption, including the embezzlement of public funds and bribe-taking in contract bidding and capital finance. Corrupt networks conspire to buy land from rural communities at low-ball prices and profit from state-owned enterprises through self-dealing and asset-stripping. Pei also shows how people in positions of influence often arrange for their immediate family members to become involved in businesses and then use their access to other officials to help their relations profit. Through such interactions, officials often develop enduring ties with particular business people, offering them protection from investigation in exchange for payoffs. Such relationships and networks have spread throughout the armed forces, the judiciary, and the central regulatory agencies. And in some places, local authorities have joined forces with organized crime. Pay demonstrates how, for most officials, this kind of corruption has traditionally been a low-risk, high-reward proposition. Until very recently, it would take many years for investigators to ferret out corrupt officials, most of whom were never caught at all. Pay argues that this laxity has produced a progressive degeneration of the organizational norms of the party state that constitutes a long-term existential threat for the Chinese regime. Here, Pei parts ways with leading political scientists and analysts 
such as Andrew Nathan, who stressed the party's resilience and ability to adapt. In contrast, Pei asserts that the CCP regime is in an advanced stage of decay. In his view, crony capitalism has sapped the state's institutional integrity, degraded the quality of governance, weakened the CCP's political authority, and intensified elite fractiousness and power struggles. Rotten to the core? Pei is hardly the only one to recognize the risks that corruption poses to the CCP. Indeed, one of the loudest voices on the issue in China belongs to the country's president, Xi. Since taking office in 2012, Xi, together with Wang Qishan, secretary of the CCP's Central Commission for Discipline Inspection, has carried out the most far-reaching anti-corruption campaign in the CCP's history. In 2016, the party disciplined 415,000 people for corruption-based offenses, including...